Chapter Two, Part One of Glimpses of Italian Society in the Eighteenth Century by Hester Lynch Piozzi. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Milan. Our weather is suddenly become so wet, the roads so heavy with incessant rain, that King William's departure from his own foggy country or his welcome to our gloomy one where this month is melancholy even to a proverb, could not have been clouded with a thicker atmosphere, surely, than was mine to Milan upon the fourth day of dismal November, 1784. Italians, by what I can observe, suffer their minds to be much under the dominion of the sky, and attribute every change in their health or even humour as seriously to its influence as if there were no nearer cause of alteration than the state of the air, and as if no doubt remained of its immediate power, though they're willing enough here to poison it with the scent of wood ashes within doors, when fires in the grate seem to run rather low, and a brazier full of that pernicious stuff is substituted in its place and driven under the table during dinner. It is surprising how very elegant, not to say magnificent, those dinners are in gentlemen's or noblemen's houses. Such numbers of dishes at once, not large joints, but infinite variety, and I think their cooking excellent. Fashion keeps most of the fine people out of town yet. We have therefore had leisure to establish our own household for the winter, and have done so as commodiously as if our habitation was fixed here for life. This I am delighted with, as one may chance to gain that insight into everyday behaviour and common occurrences, which can alone be called knowing something of a country. Counting churches, pictures, palaces may be done by those who run from town to town, with no impression made but on their bones, candour and good-humoured willingness to receive and reciprocate pleasure seems indeed one of the standing virtues of italy i have as yet seen no fastidious contempt or affected rejection of anything for being what we call low and i have a notion there is much less of those distinctions at milan than at london where birth does so little for a man that if he depends on that and forbears other methods of distinguishing himself from his footman, he will stand a chance of being treated no better than him by the world. Here a person's rank is ascertained and his society settled at his immediate entrance into life. A gentleman and lady will always be regarded as such, let what will be their behaviour. It is therefore highly commendable when they seek to adorn their minds by culture or pluck out those weeds which in hot countries will spring up among the riches of the harvest and afford a sure but no immediately pleasing proof of the soil's natural fertility but my countrywomen would rather hear a little of our interieur or as we call it family management which appears arranged in a manner totally new to me, who find the lady of every house as unacquainted with her own and her husband's affairs, as I who apply to her for information. No house account, 
no weekly bills perplex her peace if eight servants are kept we will say six of these are men and two of those men out of livery the pay of these principal figures in a family when at the highest rate is fifteen pence english a day out of which they find clothes and eating for fifteen pence includes board wages and most of these fellows are married too and have four or five children each the dinners dressed at home are for this reason more exactly contrived than in england to suit the number of guests and there are always half a dozen for dining alone or the master and mistress tete-a-tete -tete as we do is unknown to them who make society very easy and resolve to live much together no odd sensation then something like shame such as we feel when too many dishes are taken empty from table touches them at all the common causes are eleven and eleven small plates and it is their sport and pleasure if possible to clear all away a footman's wages is a shilling a day like our common labourers and paid him as they are paid every saturday night his livery meantime changed at least twice a year makes him as rich a man as the butler and valet but when evening comes it is the comicalest sight in the world to see them all go gravely home and you may die in the night for want of help though surrounded by showy attendants all day till the hour of departure however it is expected that two or three of them at least sit in the antechamber as it is called to answer the bell which if we confess the truth is no slight service or hardship for the stairs high and wide as those of windsor palace all stone too run up from the door immediately to that apartment which is very large and very cold with bricks to set their feet on only and a brazier filled with warm wood ashes to keep their fingers from freezing which in summer they employ with cards and seem but little inclined to lay them down when ladies pass through to the receiving room the strange familiarity this class of people think proper to assume half joining in the conversation and crying oi bo note oh dear end note when the master affirms something they do not quite assent to is apt to shock one at beginning the more when one reflects upon the equally offensive humility they show on being first accepted into the family when it is expected that they receive the new master's or lady's hand in a half-kneeling posture and kiss it as women under the rank of countess do the queen of england's when presented at our court this obsequiousness however vanishes completely upon acquaintance and the footman if not very seriously admonished indeed yawns spits and displays what one of our travel writers emphatically terms his flag of abomination behind the chair of a woman of quality without the slightest sensation of its impropriety there is however a sort of odd farcical drollery mingled with this grossness which tends greatly to disarm one's wrath 
and I felt more inclined to laugh than be angry one day when, from the head of my own table, I saw the servant of a nobleman who dined with us cramming some chicken pâtés down his throat behind the door, our own folks humorously trying to choke him by pretending that his lord called him while his mouth was full. Of a thousand comical things in the same way, I will relate one. Mr. Piozzi's valet was dressing my hair at Paris one morning, when some man sat at an opposite window of the same inn, singing and playing upon the violoncello. I had not observed the circumstance, but my Perugier's distress was evident. He writhed and twisted about like a man pinched with a colic, and pulled a hundred queer faces. At last, what is the matter, El Colani? said I. Are we not well? Mistress, replies the fellow, if that beast don't leave off soon, I shall run mad with rage, or else die. And so you'll see an honest Phoenician lad killed by a French dog's howling. The phrase of mistress is here not confined to servants at all. Gentlemen, when they address one, cry, Mia padrona. Note, my mistress. End note. Mighty sweetly, and in a peculiarly pleasing tone. Nothing, to speak truth, can exceed the agreeableness of a well-bred Italian's address when speaking to a lady, whom they alone know how to flatter so as to retain her dignity and not lose their own. Respectful, yet tender, attentive, not officious. The politeness of a man of fashion here is true politeness, free from all affectation, and honestly expressive of what he really feels a true value for the person spoken to, without the smallest desire of shining himself, equally removed from foppery on one side or indifference on the other. The manners of the men here are certainly pleasing to a very eminent degree, and in their conversation there is a mixture, not unfrequent too, of classical allusions, which strike one with a sort of literary pleasure I cannot easily describe. Yet there is no pedantry in their use of expressions which, with us, will be laughable or liable to censure. But Roman notions here are not quite extinct. And even the housemaid, or Donna de Gross, as they call her, swears by Diana so comically there is no telling. They christen their boys Fabius, their daughters, Claudia, very commonly. When they mention a thing known, as we say, to Thomas Stiles or John O'Noakes, they use the words Tizio and Sempronio. A lady tells me she was at a loss about the dance yesterday evening because she had not been instructed in the programma. And a gentleman, talking of the pleasures he enjoyed supping last night at a friend's house, exclaims, in Apolline. Note, we passed yesterday evening as if we had been in the Apollo. End note. Alluding to Lucullus's entertainment given to Pompey and Cicero, as I remember it, in the chamber of Apollo. But here is enough of this. More of it in their own pretty phrase. Seccarebipur Nettuno. Note, would dry up old Neptune himself. End note. 
It was long ago that Orsonius said of them more than I can say, and Mr. Addison has translated the lines in their praise better than I could have done. Et mediolani mero omnio copia rerum, innumerae cultae que domus, facunde verorini ingenia, et mores leti. Milan with plenty and with wealth overflows, and numerous streets and cleanly dwellings shows. The people, blessed by nature's happy force, are eloquent and cheerful in discourse. What I have said this moment will, however, account in some measure for a thing which he treats with infinite contempt, not unjustly, perhaps, yet does it not deserve the ridicule handed down from his time by all who have touched the subject? It is about the author who, before his theatrical representation, prefixes an odd declaration that, though he names Pluto and Neptune, and I know not who, upon the stage, yet he believes none of these fables, but considers himself as a Christian, a Catholic, etc. All this does appear very absurdly superfluous to us, but as I observed, they live nearer the original seats of paganism. Many old customs are yet retained, and the names not lost among them, or laid up merely for literary purposes, as in England, they swear per bacco, perpetually in common discourse, and once I saw a gentleman in the heat of conversation blush at the recollection that he had said barbaiobe when he meant God Almighty. By the indulgence of private friendship, I have now enjoyed the uncommon amusement of seeing a theatrical exhibition performed by friars in a convent for their own diversion, and that of some select friends. The monks of St. Victor had, it seems, obtained permission this carnival to represent a little odd sort of play written by one of their community, chiefly in the Milanese dialect, though the upper characters spoke Tuscan. The subject of this drama was taken, naturally enough, from some events, real or fictitious, which were supposed to have happened in the environs of Milan about a hundred years ago, when the Torriani and Visconti families disputed for superiority. Its construction was compounded of comic and distressful scenes, of which the last gave me most delight, and much was I amazed indeed to feel my cheeks wet with tears at a friar's play, founded on ideas of parental tenderness. The comic part, however, was intolerably gross, the jokes coarse, and incapable of diverting any but babies, or men who, by a kind of intellectual privation, contrived to perpetuate babyhood in the vain hope of preserving innocence. Nor could I flatter myself by saying how little I understood the dialect it was written in, as the action was nothing less than equivocal, and in the burletta, which was tactful by way of farce, I saw the soprano singers who played the women's parts, and who see more of the world than these friars, blush for shame two or three times, while the company, most of them grave ecclesiastics, applauded with rapturous delight. The wearisome length of the whole would, however, have surfeited me, had the amusement been more eligible, but these dear monks do not get a holiday often, I trust, 
So in the manner of schoolboys, or rather schoolgirls in England, for our boys are soon above such stuff, they were never tired of this dull buffoonery, and kept us listening to it till one o'clock in the morning. Pleasure, when it does come, always bursts up in an unexpected place. I derive much from observing in the faces of these cheerful friars that intelligent shrewdness and arch penetration so visible in the countenances of our Welsh farmers and curates of country villages in Flintshire, Carnarvonshire, etc., which Howell, best judge in such a case, observes in his letters and learnedly accounts for, but which I had wholly forgotten till the monks of St. Victor brought it back to my remembrance. The brothers who remained unemployed and clear from stage occupations formed the orchestra. Those who were left then, without any immediate business upon their hands, chatted gaily with the company, producing plenty of refreshments, and I was really very angry with myself for feeling so cynically disposed when everything possible was done to please me. The Christmas functions here were showy, and I thought well contrived, the public ones are what I speak of, but I was present lately at a private merry-making where all distinctions seemed pleasingly thrown down by a spirit of innocent gaiety. The Marquis's daughter mingled in country dances with the apothecary's apprentice, while her truly noble parents looked on with generous pleasure and encouraged the mirth of the moment. Priests, ladies gentlemen of the very first quality romped with the girls of the house in high good humour and tripped it away without the encumbrance of petty pride or the mean vanity of giving what they expressively call soggezione to those who were proud of their company and protection a new married wench whose little fortune of a hundred crowns had been given her by the subscription of many in the room seemed as free with them all as the most equal distribution of birth or riches could have made her. She laughed aloud and rattled in the ears of the gentlemen, replied with sarcastic coarseness when they joked her, and apparently delighted to promote such conversation as they would not otherwise have tried at. The ladies shouted for joy, encouraged the girl with less delicacy than desire of merriment, and promoted a general banishment of decorum, though I do believe with as full as much or more purity of intention than may often be met with in a polished circle at Paris itself. Such society, however, can please a stranger only as it is old and as it is new. When ceremony ceases, hilarity is left in a state too natural not to offend people accustomed to scenes of high civilization, and I suppose few of us could return after twenty-five years old to the coarse comforts of a roll and treacle. Another style of amusement very different from this last called us out two or three days ago to hear the famous Passione of Metastasio sung in St. Chelsea's church. The building is spacious, the architecture elegant, the ornaments rich. A custom, too, was on this occasion omitted, which I dislike exceedingly, that of deforming the beautiful edifices dedicated to God's service 
with damask hangings and gold lace on the capitals of all the pillars upon days of gala so very perversely that the effect of proportions is lost to the eye while the church conveys no idea to the mind but of a tattered theatre and when the frippery decorations fade nothing can exclude the recollection of an old clothes shop st chelsea was however left clear from these disgraceful ornaments there assembled together a numerous and brilliant if not attentive audience and st peter's part in the oratorio was sung by a soprano voice with no appearance of peculiar propriety to be sure it is now time to talk a little of the theatre and surely a receptacle so capacious to contain four thousand people a place of entrance so commodious to receive them a show so princely so very magnificent to entertain them must be sought in vain out of italy the centre-front box richly adorned with gilding arms and trophies is appropriated to the court whose canopy is carried up to what we call the first gallery in england the crescent of boxes ending with the stage consists of nineteen on a side small boudoirs for such they seem and are as such fitted up with silk hangings girandoles placed so judiciously as to catch every sound of the singers if they do but whisper i will not say it is equally advantageous to the figure as to the voice no performers looking adequate to the place they recite upon so very stately is the building itself being all of stone with an immense portico and stairs which for width you might without hyperbole drive your chariot up an immense sideboard at the first lobby lighted and furnished with luxurious and elegant plenty as many people send for suppers to their box and entertain a knot of friends there with infinite convenience and splendour a silk curtain the colour of your hangings defends the closet from intrusive eyes if you think proper to drop it and when drawn up gives gaiety and show to the general appearance of the whole but across the corridor leading to these boxes another small chamber numbered like that it belongs to is appropriated to the use of your servants and furnished with every conveniency to make chocolate serve lemonade etc can one wonder at the contempt shown by foreigners when they see english women of fashion squeezed into holes lined with dirty torn red paper and the walls of it covered with wretched crimson stuff well but this theatre is built in place of a church founded by the famous beatrice di scala in consequence of a vow she made to erect one if god would be pleased to send her a son the church was pulled down and the playhouse erected the archduke lost a son that year and the pious folks cried a judgment but nobody minded them i believe many however that are scrupulous will not go meantime it is a beautiful theatre to be sure the finest fabric raised in modern days i do believe for the purposes of entertainment but we must not be partial while london has twelve capital rooms for the professed amusement of the public milan has but one there is in it however 
a ridotto chamber for cards of a noble size where some little gaming goes on in carnival time but though the inhabitants complain of the enormities committed there i suppose more money is lost and won at one club in st james's street during a week than here at milan in the whole winter that neither complaints nor rejoicings here at milan proceed from affectation is a choice comfort the lombards possess the skill to please you without feigning and so artless are their manners you cannot even suspect them of insincerity they have perhaps for that very reason few comedies and fewer novels among them for the worst of every man's character is already well known to the rest but be his conduct what it will the heart is commonly right enough il buon cuore lombardo is famed throughout all italy and nothing can become proverbial without an excellent reason little opportunity therefore is given to writers who carry the dark lantern of life into its deepest recesses unwind the hidden wickedness of a maskwell or a monkton develop the folds of vice and spy out the internal worthlessness of apparent virtue which from these discerning eyes cannot be cloaked even by the early taught affectation which renders it a real ingenuity to discover even a highly polished capital a man or woman has or has not good parts or principles so completely are the first overlaid with literature and the last perverted by refinement end of chapter two part one